Welcome to the Photo Banter Podcast. I'm your host, Alex Gagne, and on today's podcast, I speak with photographer Chris Buck. Chris is an editorial and commercial photographer who has worked with clients such as Google, Old Spice, GQ, and ESPN the Magazine, to name a few. In this interview, I speak to Chris about some of his early assignments, his approach to marketing, as well as some of his various personal projects. Chris is someone whose work I've respected for many years, so I was really excited to get a chance to speak with him. So I hope you enjoy it, and thanks so much for listening. All right. Well, uh, Chris Buck, uh, welcome to the podcast. Uh, Thanks for taking the time to do this. I really appreciate it. Um, I was excited to talk to you. I've been looking at your work for years. Um, I guess just to kind of start off, I was kind of curious uh, what you've been working on lately and what's kind of got you excited about photography lately, I guess. Oh, great. Well, um, first of all, thank you for having me. I'm I'm pleased to be here, especially as you're in my home. <laughs> so I'm pleased to be at home. <laughs> so, um, Well, you know, right now I'm about three quarters through shooting my next book. It's called Gentleman's Club. Portraits of Boyfriends, Husbands, and Girlfriends of Exotic Dancers. I've been shooting for about four years, and it, it is, as it sounds, Portraits of Exotic Dancers Partners. Interesting. I've been doing all over North America, and uh, yeah, I guess it's that thing where you're always excited with the project you're kind of in the middle of, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I'm, I'm looking for subjects, so if anyone is dating a dancer or... Uh, or knows anyone, please hook me up. All right. Um, I'll, I'll make a note of it. Yeah. In, in the... I've done 28 so far, hoping to get another 10 to 12. Okay. How did that kind of project come about for you? I kind of, at some point I realized that, um, there really wasn't much that I found very interesting. I find people interesting. I kind of, I guess politics, national politics is kind of a hobby. Mm-hmm. I'm just, you know, I, I read about it and such, but Otherwise, I do like strip clubs. I find them intriguing. The, the, the etiquette is always different. There's a tawdry quality that's, that's great. And also, for the obvious reasons. And so, I wanted to do something around strip clubs. And I, um, I realized I couldn't do anything around the dancers because, it, well, it's just been done and done well. Mm-hmm. I didn't want to do anything with the clubs because it would just be too hard to get access. Yeah. The physical spaces. So I got to thinking about what, what exists outside the club and, and the idea of the dancers, boyfriends or husbands or such, uh, came along and, uh, I kind of sat on it for a while and over time I kind of, I realized, you know, it wasn't really about strip clubs or what strip clubs are about. It was really about making a portrait of someone who has an interesting sort of interior life. Uh, you know, I think that. Oftentimes they ask me, why are you doing this? You know, the dancers, because they're often kind of the gatekeepers to their partners or, um, or the partners themselves. And I, I always say, you know, as a portrait photographer, I love that place where vulnerability and strength exist together. Mm. And I think you can't date a dancer unless you are strong at your core, but you are inherently vulnerable by, by the work that she does. So I find these people fascinating for that reason. And that's my approach to the portraits. That's pretty cool. Have you been like, is it different strip clubs, different cities, or has it been mostly kind of New York, New Jersey area? Or how? Um, I from the beginning, I I kept it, um, you know, on a larger scale. I I don't know why. I guess I felt it would give it more breadth. Uh, I mean, well, actually, yeah. So I'll tell you where I've shot. I've shot in Toronto, New York area, 
Los Angeles, Las Vegas, Phoenix, Tampa, and then a couple other places where I've just sort of done one one off, like I did one in um, Oakland, California, one in um, Rochester. So I kind of go where I feel, I frankly, I'm trying to go to places where there's the most strip clubs because it just seems like the odds of getting people is better. Uh, but also places where I tend to spend time. I'm from Toronto, so I go there. Yeah. I work in Los Angeles a lot, so I go there. So I try to nurture potential subjects there. Um, but, you know, no, another important thing is that I try to find them different ways. They're so hard to find. It's, it's forced me to be very creative about how I find them. You know, we place ads in places like, like Craigslist. Okay. Um, but also I send, like, female interns to clubs to scout for me yeah. so they talk to the dancers and they get phone numbers for me and i follow up mm. um but also a lot of word of mouth like word of mouth has gotten me a, a lot of amazing subjects uh word of mouth might be the most prolific way of finding people which you'd never think like i, I didn't know anyone who was dating a dancer or or any da- or any strippers so the idea of finding them through word of mouth is not something i thought would work but yeah. it's been great I think word of mouth is like the key to life. <laughs> well, especially strangely in this internet time. I mean, I think as photographers, we're drawn to projects that are not easy to, that you can't find through the internet. Like in a way, like you recognize this project's unique because I can't just Google it yeah. and then find people that way. Yeah. Is that kind of half the fun for you? Is just trying to put this like craziness together because like like you said like finding these people is really tough is it kind of is it half the fun this kind of this getting it making it to happen for you kind of i think it'll be i don't know i i if the audience has some understanding of how difficult it was to find people then it'll be worthwhile Mm. but i kind of worry they won't yeah just certain subjects i remember seeing a book about gypsies uh romanis and they were, and I, I knew enough about that culture to know, like, wow, like the fact that they found them as a group was amazing and they got access to photograph them yeah. or like the, um, Hasidic Jewish community. Like I, I have friends in that community, but I've never really even asked to take pictures because they're very private and I, and understandably. And, but when you see like a large project around a community like that, it's impressive because you just know, you just know it's hard to get access. And if they've got good pictures of that of a world that you that you, we don't have access to then that's amazing i just hope people recognize that that's so but if they don't hopefully the work will be interesting enough anyways yeah because that's tough like how do you convey that because obviously they're not dancers so it's not like you can just look at it's just like a guy like is there like text that's going to go with the photos or is it how do you convey that that they're a boyfriend or a significant other to like a dancer um, without it just looking like a portrait of this, like another guy. Cause that's, sure. That's well, I mean, the fact is that anyone who comes across this, whether it's on my website or some press for the book or, or the book itself, they're going to be, the whole thing's going to be framed by the name of the project and the subtitle. Okay. You know, so you're going to know that's what you're looking at. I guess if you stumble across pictures randomly, mm-hmm. hopefully you'd think it's interesting anyways. And then yeah. the background of, of the context of, you know who they are and how they live would be extra value i will have just to be clear in the book there will be interviews with the subjects i initially i actually i started right from the beginning interviewing them and initially i just thought i'd have like a like a pull quote you know one or two lines that kind of adds a little extra context Mm -hmm. but the first interview already was so great the guy clearly really wanted to talk about the complications of his relationship and how much he loves his wife and everything. So 
Uh, his story was really long and detailed and passionate. And I was like, wow, this is great. So then I started taking the interviews even more seriously and went in hoping to get a proper Q&A with each one. Wow, that's really cool. Have you found that certain cities um, have been easier for you to get people or is it this kind of a mixed match you think you know it the thing that's fascinating i mean i've learned a lot about that world now you know as a customer you feel like you know a lot especially if you've been to a couple different clubs in different cities but going to um going and meeting these people outside their workplaces and being able to ask you know frank questions about their work and everything um you, you learn a lot. You learn about the heart of the managed. And, you know, some of the cliches are confirmed, but a lot of other information comes forward, too. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, just about how normal a job is just a job. Trying People make, treat it as a job. Trying to make money. Yeah, exactly. They're trying to make a living and trying to, like, work out what time of day to go and whatever. Mm-hmm. But um, one of the things that's interesting is that uh, different cities have different kind of uh, cultures around strip club workers or sex workers or whatever you want to call it and the um the people like for example in toronto and portland it's pretty open and a lot of people know each other there's a genuine community so if you you know when i once i hooked up with one person or one couple and it went well then they were happy to introduce me to other people but uh in other cities like tampa uh, or new york no one talks to each other no one knows each other there's more of a sense of you know, kind of leave your work at work and keep your personal life personal. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, the girls will often say like, hey, I'm friendly with the girls at work, but I don't really talk about my personal life with them. Yeah, it's just like they separate it. Like go yeah. to work, do your job, and then you got your own life. Exactly. Uh, I think that's kind of a good way to be <laughs> any job. Well, yeah. I guess so, but <laughs> I mean, I I never really intended on being friends with, with photographers when I started yeah. being a photographer, but now like... You know, at least half my friends I know through the photo community. Yeah, I think it true. just there's a way in which there's a kind of a shorthand and there's a built in kind of automatic. If you know someone's work, there's just a built in kind of respect yeah. and decency about the way you deal with them that when you just meet someone randomly, it, you have to kind of, it's too much work. You know? Or I think like, or a job like that where you're working like, five days a week or six days a week or whatever there's because i mean i've worked jobs like that there it becomes like office politics and i'm sure it's like the same thing True. at any club so it's like yeah. it's, it's different so that's kind of the interesting thing about it well and there's probably there's often more drama because of drug use and who's making money who's not making money yeah, yeah. And, and just you know it's i think i think it's a it's a bit of a rougher terrain oh yeah definitely um, like when you're working on these projects, cause and when I'll ask you to get into some of your other projects you've done, but like when you kind of start a project like that, do you kind of have it mapped out of like what your goal is, what you're trying to accomplish? And does that generally like kind of shift as you kind of start working on it? Do you kind of have like a way you kind of get through those projects, I guess? Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm still working on my process for doing projects and book projects and mm-hmm. such, but, uh, I mean, certainly you, you develop tools, you develop methods that serve you. Like one thing I do is when I'm embarking on a bunch of, or I knew a new big project that might be a book or just for my website or a promotional piece, I'll start three projects at once because inevitably if I start one, it's going to fail and then I'm going to be really upset and discouraged. So by starting three, it means that, uh, I, the chance of one of the three having legs is is decent so it it gives you kind of a a bit of a buffer an emotional buffer you know and it allows you to kind of push forward and try it 
Mm. Um, and certainly, yeah, I do I'll always have a goals. Like for this book, I wanted to photograph 50 people, mm-hmm. but I've already rolled it back to like somewhere in the, the mid thirties okay. because it's just so hard to find people. And I'm already four years in and I just want to wrap it up. Yeah. I mean, I'm still passionate about it, but I want to wrap it up and move on to the next project. So you always make changes. I mean, certainly like visually when I go into shoot, I'll always shoot more in the first few shoots, like trying to figure out, okay, what am I doing with this? Like, for example, uh, with Gentleman's Club, it's all color. Um, it's all available light, but I'm doing horizontals and verticals. I'm going to be showing two to four pictures of each partner in the book. So it's a different approach than I've had with other projects where maybe I just have one final picture, uh, like the Chris Box project, which I'm sure we'll talk about. Yeah. The, um, I'm only, they're all vertical. They're all, you know, color environmental, but, but they're all vertical, um, six, seven frames. Um, and, and that's it. And when the, with that project, I was doing like, you know, I was doing studio portraits and horizontals and black and white. When I initially started the first, say three or four people, I did a whole range. And then over time, I kind of whittled it down to what was, what was going to be the look for this project. This kind of evolves. Um, that's really interesting. And like one thing I was kind of ask people, like, how do you know when a project is done? Like, that's like the hardest thing. Cause it seems like, at least for me, like I work on projects and like, I'll just kind of keep shooting up sometimes. Like, how do you know? Is it just like a feeling for you? Or? Well, there's a, there's a great expression. I don't know who said it, but they say, um, artistic projects are never finished. They're just abandoned. <laughs> yes. And I think it's really true. I think you kind of, you know, I think if you're doing it right, it's probably exhausting you mm. and and taking too long i mean gentlemen's club have been shooting for four years my first book presence i shot for five years you know presence i want to be 200 pictures and end up being 50 mm. um just because i just i was done like yeah. i think that's how it often is it's just you want to do other projects and you know you need enough to make the feel like you're making the statement you need to yeah. but you always kind of roll back your ambitions. I think it's important to have big ambitions in the beginning so that when you roll them back, it's still a like viable project. <laughs> yeah, yeah, if you intend on doing 10, you're probably going to be really disappointed because you'll end up doing like six, Yeah, you know? So you, if you go in doing uh, planning on doing 200, then you'll end up doing enough to make a project. Uh, that's smart. That makes sense. And, uh, I guess to go back a little bit, um, just to kind of get a little, uh, backstory for you, like, where did you grow up and like, what are kind of like some of your earliest memories of photography? Uh, I grew up in Toronto in Canada in the suburbs there. And, uh, my father worked for Kodak. He was a chemical engineer okay. and he was a, a manager. Um, what he, you know, for a long time of his career, he managed the, uh, film coding, um, so, you know, photography was just sort of a normal everyday thing for us. You know, we would go to Kodak once or twice a year for like the Christmas party and Easter parties or something. Probably, Easter probably, week. probably a pretty good party back then. Oh yeah, it was great. <laughs> they had Santa Claus, it was everything, the whole, whole regalia. Um, and uh, so, you know, we had cameras around and, you know, photography was just part of the vernacular of our home. Hmm. Um, so... At the same time, I was very artistic. It was, that's really the one, the one thing I was good at was visual, visual arts. Mm-hmm. Um, it was, you know, I was like the second best drawer in our class in elementary school. So it, I knew it was something I was good at. So 
And then in high school, I discovered kind of popular media and was super excited about that. And I knew, I knew in some way that's what I was going to do. Yeah. Um, and then I ended up going to school for photography for college. Um, uh, and so at some point I kind of decided, okay, this is what I'm going to do. In a way, I was not super passionate about photography itself, um, but I knew I had a talent for it. Uh, you know, my, my visual background and, you know, just when I was even first starting to take pictures seriously at all, I, I had an instinct for like what worked and what didn't, what, why, what picture that I didn't like. And I, I kind of, and also I made some decent pictures right away. And so I knew that I had a talent, I had a knack for it. And, you know, if I took it seriously and, and, you know, tried to really grow with it, I could do good things. Um, and, uh, but you know, my, my thing was, I really tried to find, you know, my interest was really in popular culture, yeah. especially music at the time. And so photography allowed me to kind of photograph bands and, you know, work with music publications. And so that was sort of how I kind of found my, my place. That's cool. So was your dad into taking photos too or anything like that or not so much? When we were really young. He took pictures, but I don't think he was... I think he was more of an engineer than a photographer yeah. and my mom really did most of our childhood pictures that's cool I and mean, in a way in a funny way my dad was like the technical guy my mom was the creative one so in a way like i was really more like my mom yeah. even though i went into photography i was really more like my mother being creative and kind of just open in that sense mm, that makes sense and were they like pretty supportive of supportive of i can't say the word supportive of your photography like getting into that uh field i guess or what did they? it's funny you know i look back now and I, they were very supportive and i think for my mom she was just excited that i was going into something creative because mm -hmm. that's where her interest was but for my dad was always concerned i was making enough money mm -hmm. but he also i mean you know he worked at Kodak. How could he criticize being a photographer? Yeah, yeah. yeah, no, that's interesting. I know it is a tough thing. It's like crazy business. It's not, it, you don't, it's not a straight shot. Like it's not like going to law school and then you become a lawyer. It's like photography is like every, since I've been doing this and talk to so many photographers, like there's no one story. Like everyone's just like, it's, it's a crapshoot. It's just crazy. Well, and one of the things I think I was lucky with, and this is the, sort of the third, what do they call it? The Venn diagram or whatever. Yep. You know, I had my interest in popular culture. I had my, talent and visual stuff and photography but the third one is the marketplace and the marketplace especially at that time for photographs of popular culture figures was huge mm -hmm. and varied and so i knew i could make a living mm -hmm. and so those three things came together in you know a small center and that's how i knew you know if i took this seriously i could make a living and the fact that i also was interested in popular culture and not just being a fine art photographer meant that I had a real chance to, to make a go too. Yeah, it makes sense. And like, what kind of stuff were you photographing even like when you were first starting out or like in college, was it always portraiture for you or what was kind of some of the early stuff you were photographing? Well, even when I was in college, you know, you get, when you study photography in a kind of technical type of course, which mine was, um, you end up doing all genres, still life, mm. um, you know, street photography, landscapes, um, travel, whatever, like studio portraits. Um, you have to do everything. You kind of, it's part of the requirement, you know? So I did do everything, which I didn't like, but I did appreciate later because in my career, I've had to do all, all kinds of different things just because I, you know, they call you and they say, Hey, you do still life. You're like, 
Yep. I'm, I'm, f- <laughs> I'm free that day, so yes. <laughs> um, so... Uh, so yeah, but anytime there's any kind of even vaguely portrait project, I bring in like a local musician or, or, or something and I'd find a way to like go deep with it and like really expand it and go get excited about the portrait aspect. Mm-hmm. So yeah, even then that's where my, my interest lied. And, and, you know, my, my last couple of years of college, I was really building a portfolio to be a portrait photographer. Uh, and you know, initially it was all music stuff, but even within a year being out of school, I was doing you know, people in the visual arts and politics and um, filmmakers and um, actors, things like that were already coming in. Um, I mean, it's fascinating because I do tend to think of my early, my early few years of being all about music, but you know, I published a retrospective last year and, you know, pretty early in the book, you're seeing writers and, and political figures and things like that coming up right away. Mm. And like, what's your thought on like a f- photography school? Like, do you feel like it was like a useful e- experience for you or what's your kind of take on it? I mean, I certainly have mixed feelings about it. You know, the idea of going to school for photography is a little absurd. You know, I mean, even in the broad scheme of, of you know, technical professions, it's pretty light. Mm. I mean, it's not like being a plumber where you're actually useful. Yeah. Uh, so, <laughs> yes, uh, yes. <laughs> um, but, uh, it was good for me. I'll say like I went straight out of high school yeah. and I didn't really have, I know I want to be in popular culture and, and mass media, but I didn't know exactly where. So having somewhere to go was, was useful and just in some way. And, you know, those years, you know, when you're in your early twenties are so formative that having the structure of somewhere to go to and projects to work on was probably very healthy. Mm-hmm. Even though I did lots of projects outside of school, you mostly music related because that's where my passion was. Yeah. Um, there was, um, it was good for me to be there and I was actually, you know, learning some skill. Um, you know, the idea of going to four years, four years for photography is a little ridiculous. And the fact is a lot of the things I learned that were, you know, that are really important now, like how to light, you can't learn how to light in school. Mm-hmm. They can teach you, you know, they can teach you kind of structures or like certain looks, yep. but as a serious photographer, you want your own look. Yep. So you need to develop it on your own. And that takes years of just shooting and trial and error. At least for me, it did. Yeah. Um, so, uh, I mean, the, the main thing I want to say about it, like it was fine for me um, and it was useful, but um, I'd say my, my biggest concern, you know, I went to school in Canada and this was in the mid '80s, so the cost was not that much. In fact, my mother told me recently that I paid for my entire college education just through, like, having a summer job, Damn. which is like it's hard to imagine that anyone doing that now, you know. Now it's like you're mortgaging a house. <laughs> well, exactly. And so, uh, the idea of spending like hundred fifty thousand dollars to go to photo school is insane. Mm-hmm. I think I would certainly encourage people, and I I get that you know when you're like you know, 18, the idea of like trying to figure out your own path to this would be very difficult. But if you can do like, you know, a year or two of internships, uh, you know, watch YouTube videos, you know, read a couple books, um, you could, you could learn everything you need to know. And also just buy a camera and shoot. I mean, even when I was starting out, I just bought a camera that had both automatic and manual settings. I shot everything on automatic for the first whatever year. Mm. And then as I saw troubles with the results, I learned manual to, to, to manually correct. Mm. I'm not, I wasn't then, I'm more technical now, but I wasn't technical minded at the time and I wasn't even that interested. So I really learned kind of organically over time. 
Um, and so like, you know, you can do that. You can just shoot on an auto, auto focus, auto exposure. And then when you see problems, you know, like heavy backlighting or whatever, you can figure out solutions and that, you know, gives you incentive to learn the manual. And now of course I do everything manual, but, um, you know, in those days I, it was always a kind of a mix, Yeah. but, um, yeah, I mean, I think you, I mean, I certainly would highly recommend internships you know, YouTube videos. Um, I mean, I, I would discourage professional assisting because it pays too well, uh, but it just becomes a trap to hold you back from being a photographer. Yeah. Interesting. you say that. Yeah. It is kind of like, uh, yeah, you can't get stuck in it. I, I kind of, I, I got out of school and I started assisting and I did it for about two years and then I kind of, I really had to make that. I ended up this like quitting and I got like some shitty jobs. Like I was working nights like at, a, at Lowe's just unloading trucks just because I knew you had to like, if you want to break out of it because it's like easy just getting that system. It's like 500 bucks a day, 500 bucks a day. Uh, right. And if you're any good, you can be making like, like, you know, a, like four grand a month or something. Like it's, you know, you can be living the high life oh yeah it's can. crazy and but the thing about it is then you find yourself at 32 mm-hmm. and you haven't started your photography career yeah and it's a lot harder to do when you're in your 30s like when you're in your 20s yeah. it's kind of fun to be poor mm-hmm. and like be trying to figure it out mm-hmm. uh when you're like in your 30s it is no fun to be poor Nah, it's a uh, real life um but i guess like once you got out of college like so i'm guessing you didn't do any assisting you just kind of went straight into shooting yeah i mean i kind of failed up i didn't really have the qualifications to be an assistant as i mentioned before i was not particularly technically inclined or interested at the time mm-hmm. so the idea of me setting up someone's lights good luck you know uh, or uh and I also wasn't a big guy. I was very slight and, you know, not muscular or anything. So the, I, no one's going to hire me to carry their bags. Yeah. So I just did not, I did not read as, and I think there's other kinds of assistants, especially now, um, who, but you know, even the female assistants I hire are, are totally strong in the technical area. Um, you know, they can do all the lighting, they know how to run the laptops, they can suggest solutions to problems mm-hmm. in a way that I never could have at that time. Yeah. And so... Uh, and also I was lucky to have mentors who encouraged me just to do my own thing. I remember like I asked my, my professor, my fourth year professor, you know, should I assist to kind of transition into shooting? He said, no, you're already being published. You're beyond that. Mm-hmm. You know, being, I've been published in a monthly crappy music paper, but to his mind, I was already on track and he was really right. Mm-hmm. Now, the fact is, is that, you know, my trajectory to learn, you know, learn my craft and learn my professionalism was a longer road a longer climb Mm -hmm. because i was doing it younger and i was doing it with less professional experience obviously if you've been on set a lot by being assistant you you can learn through observation like how you conduct yourself with a client Mm -hmm. how you you know maybe some tools for avoiding big big mistakes or whatever you know i couldn't do that because i just had to make all the mistakes on my own and it was dangerous but it, it worked out fine yeah yeah, you just got to do it. Like, there's no right time to start. You just got to do it. Like, you're going to make uh, mistakes and you learn from them, I guess, over time. Yeah. I'm sure you still probably learn stuff. Like Totally. Uh, yeah. Like, are there, like, any early jobs, like, when you first got out of school, when you're kind of working, that kind of stick out in your mind as, like, maybe, like, you learned a lot from or could have maybe a mistake early on you made or kind of looking back, some you kind of, uh, was, like, a learning point for you? A lot but- of things were practical, like, um, like, to be early. It sounds obvious now, but... Uh, like I, 
I get to shoot three and a half hours before the subject now. Mm. Which, you know, now maybe people are picturing my ad shoots or whatever, but even on like smaller editorial jobs, that's my goal is to be there three and a half hours early. Oftentimes I can't get that kind of access, mm -hmm. but I want to get there. So I guess I want to be able to really take it in, you know, look around, set the lighting, make good choices. Uh, and I don't want to do so in a rush. And it's something I had to learn. Mm -hmm. I used to show up like at the, the time the shoot's supposed to start. I've got the subject looking at me like, what do you want to do? And I'm like, oh, give me a few minutes to set the light, or, you know, or whatever. Yeah. And at that time, the lighting wouldn't have been that elaborate because I was just starting out. But still, it's absurd that, you know, I went to go shoot the Pixies one time. And it was really early on for them, you know, and for me, obviously. And I, I shot them and I was really unhappy with what I got. I knew at the time, I said, look, can I come back tomorrow and shoot you before you leave town? And they said, sure, we're leaving at nine. So I got there like 9.15 thinking like, you know, I was running late or whatever. And I'm thinking, you know, they, you know, they're a band. They're going to be running late. I got there and they're gone. Mm. And like, okay, important lesson, sure. you know, be early. Yes. Don't be, don't be late. Yes. Yeah, and it's, you know, it's a, I'm kind of a late person and so it's also a way for me to build in a safety like if I'm going to be if my aim is to be there three and a half hours early and I'm like running a half hour late I'm still three hours early oh yeah I'm parano paranoid about that stuff I'm the same way because I'm like I gotta find parking I gotta like whatever something go wrong and you need time to get lost you have to build in the time to get lost especially like if you got a new client you've never worked for before or like not even new anybody you don't want to mess up because it's hard enough to get clients so you want to keep them so it's totally. it's it's tough man um well you know one thing that that mentor i mentioned i guess i maybe i was a year into living in new york and i met up with him he was he was visiting new york and he uh and we were i was expressing some frustration about you know some technical aspects of the shooting or whatever and he said you know you should keep a, a diary a photo diary mm. and for two years i kept a photo diary where uh, it was just like one of those little like kind of sketchbooks, eight by ten ish. And every I'd come home from my shoot, and I'd leave a little space on the top for like either a Polaroid or maybe like a, a test print or something. I I glue that in, and then I'd write the the subject and the date, and then I'd write whether either two or three pages or ten pages of everything that went wrong. Okay. And I did that after every shoot yeah. for two years, mm. and wow. Like, because when you come back from a shoot, you're, yeah, you might be aware of like, okay, I, I should have done X or, you know, maybe I need to figure out a way to make better conversation or whatever things you know, that's going on. And I need to test my, my light filters or my kit needs more batteries or whatever that's things. Fun. But, but you tend to think of one or two things that you maybe can do, but when you have to sit down and only focus on the mistakes, mm. wow, you come up with a lot of material, especially that early when you're kind of figuring it out yeah i learned i learned a lot and i really improved my my game and it kind of it gave me a lot of the apparatus to to solve to, to solve potential problems either before they happen or early on you know it's funny because people will look at my work you know on my website or at my my retrospective book and you know mostly what they're seeing is like the creativity they're seeing the the interesting solutions or like the visual aspects that work they're seeing like oh chris really had a style he really pushed it forward he really made his vision yeah. you know which is fine that's great but what they're often not seeing is the professional aspect that you know my book is called uneasy and you know a lot of it maybe like i don't know 
a third to half the pictures really have a sense of an uneasiness of either me or the subject or some combination, either in the posing or the lighting or just some kind of kind of vibe of the picture. But the other half of the pictures don't have that. Yeah. And those are just professional solutions to a problem of I need to come out with a couple of good pictures. Yeah. And, you know, you solve different situations, different ways. And that's a lot of the things I was learning in those two years is, okay, I go in the subject is impossible. They'll do nothing. Mm-hmm. What? Okay. I still need a shot. Mm-hmm. Just because I can't, the, the, the client doesn't want to hear, oh, they're not cooperative. They just want it. You just, they just want the pictures. Yeah. They don't, they don't care about your excuses. Yeah. There's no excuses. Yes. You're a professional. That's why they're hiring you. Right. You, you know, if it could be done by anyone, they just hire anyone from Instagram or whatever. That's why you're a professional is you, you can do things that people who just are good at taking pictures on the street can't do. Yeah. And so you develop, like I call it my bag of tricks Mm -hmm. and it makes it sound like it's a, you know, like it's like there's no authenticity or whatever but you know the fact is if you do it right you can get that you can you can solve a fail but you can also have a genuine moment in there too yeah definitely i think it's smart like for those two years you're kind of writing down like every shoot you did because it kind of gives you uh, time to analyze what you did um i was talking to my friend um dom and jared and they did one of the smartest things this is what they do and i started doing it and i would advise anyone to do it Anytime they go to a meeting to show their portfolio, after the meeting, they take notes, like what they talked about with that person. like all. And it's like, I started doing it, and it's smart. Why? What do you get out of it? I think you just like, you, you kind of understand like how you approach these meetings. Like, I don't know about you, like when I go to show my portfolio, it's kind of this weird like song and dance. Like sometimes you vibe with the person, sometimes you don't. But I think, because it is at the end of the day, like you are selling a service so I think that is an aspect to the business, at least the way I approach it. So I think kind of having like an idea how you're going to approach those meetings and show your portfolio, I think taking the notes, you kind of, you learn instead of this kind of winging it all the time. Would you be writing down like things you said that you, you regret or more like things that you, that really worked or got a good laugh or whatever? Yeah, stuff like that or just like what you talked about, um, stuff you kind of learned about with that person, maybe even the stuff they're working on or clients they do. You know, what I, what I do, I always write down in almost every meeting, something comes up, maybe I tell a story or they reference a picture and I want to send them something else. Yeah. So say like, let's say they point to my Billy Bob Thornton picture where he's urinating yeah. in the backdrop. And I'm like, and they'll be like, is that real? I'm like, oh yeah, it's real. You know, the contact sheet's amazing because at the beginning of the contact sheet, the 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 seamless is dry, and at the end of it, there's a giant puddle. It's like it's almost magical. Yeah. Especially in the digital age where you have this physical thing, so I'll make note of that after, and then I'll email them a mm. scan of the, of that contact sheet. Yeah. Because I think one of my theories about meetings is that. The, the follow-up email about the meeting is actually more valuable than the meeting itself. Yeah. Because that because rem- the meeting happens and it comes and goes, but the reminder of, hey, you know what? I really liked Alex. He was like smart and articulate about his work. He clearly understands what his strengths are. Mm-hmm. Like, and oh, and here's this funny email he sent me with a something he actually remembered from our conversation. Like clearly Alex was really present. Yeah, you have a genuine interest. Like you want to work with those clients or whatever. I think it's important, you know? Um, it's interesting. And plus I think half the people who go to those meetings don't do follow up emails. Really? That's crazy. <laughs> I don't, know. Don't, you, don't you agree? I don't know. I guess I, I, I it's never, that's one thing I was going to ask you about, like, cause 
I mean, I don't know how much you, do you still show your portfolio yourself these days? Most of the time my agent does that kind of stuff. I mean, frankly, most of the ways people see my work is through my website. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's funny because I end up talking with my interns about websites and portfolios and things like that. And I say to them, you know, you know, I was trying to explain why I do a blog. And I said, look, I get it. Almost no one looks at my blog. Even people who, maybe people who are particular fans of my work might look at it and read things. But no one looks at my blog. But maybe once a year, a client reads through a few entries in my blog and they're like, Hey, he's smart or he's funny or he really seems to care. Mm -hmm. And that's it. If that gets me one, one or two days work, then that's worth doing the blog all year. Oh yeah. And the fact is, is that even though the main audience for my Instagram or even my website is going to be young photographers, it doesn't exist for them. Yeah. It exists for the clients. It exists for the clients to make it easy, to make it, to make it, um, quickly discernible and navigatable um, and they can find like a great portfolio of work for their you know PDF they're making to present with or whatever yeah. that they can get to A to Z super fast yeah. that is the goal of the website it's not you know people will be like why don't you have your old class of work on there I'm like because this isn't to show how cool I am it's to get me work yeah it's like the, the website will like it's like will get you in, in the door having good work that's just like the starting point but then it's like how can you communicate with these people because they want to work with people that they enjoy working with and i think that's like i know when i started like this meeting with clients and things you're nervous or at least i was <laughs> not like selling yourself because it is like a selling thing do you feel like when you kind of first started out did you always just have like confidence in like marketing your work or is it something you think you've gotten better with like communicating with clients and things like that I certainly think I'm better, Yeah, but I, I've always been confident and I've always been, um, I always believed in my work. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, the funny thing is I, I often say like the most valuable thing a young person has is their arrogance. Yeah. The, you know, when you're in your mid twenties and you're like just out of college or just a couple of years into shooting, mm -hmm. you're like. Like, you know that you are part of the vanguard of the next wave of awesomeness. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you get that the marketplace isn't with you yet, but but you you kind of, that is the flame you carry. Mm -hmm. And I think it's so important. It's one of the reasons why I discourage people from assisting and to get on to shooting. Because mm -hmm. even if you, in the end, decide not to be a photographer mm -hmm. and to work in some other aspect of the business, which is totally fine, better to find that out earlier and you can use your energies, you know. The fact is when you're young and arrogant and you're like, I know the odds are against me, but I'm going to be one of the ones who makes it. Yeah. When you get to be 30, yeah. somehow you're like, you you feel those odds. You yeah. feel like, oh man. And in fact, I remember very distinctly, remember being, when I turned 30 and recognizing, you know, I've already put six years into this. Let's just give it a few more years. Okay. Because I was, I was ready to quit. Really? And do something else. But I was like, it's funny because there's that kind of, they call it the sunken investment fallacy. Mm -hmm. But I kind of felt like I've already laid the foundation. I might as well give this a go a little longer and see if I can make it work. Mm -hmm. Cause I was really, my style hadn't come together. I wasn't getting the kind of work I wanted. It was really, it was actually a very tough time, but I kind of, I soldiered on and I kind of figured it out. And, and you know, over time it kind of sorted itself out, but it was, it's one of these things where if I hadn't had that, that, that five or six years of having been a professional shooter, even at a very low level, but at least having like, 
you know, gotten to know people, been a presence in New York and that kind of thing. If I didn't have that, I probably would have left the business. Mm. So I think that that, in a way, that's when the young arrogance was broken and I was now like an adult and I was, I had to be, because in a way, when I was young, it was like, I was like good for my age, quote unquote, you know, and people told me so. I, you know, they, they respected my confidence and my, um, my drive and the fact I had solid work already. But, you know, when you turn a certain age, now you're competing again. I, I, I was like competing for jobs against like Mary Ellen Mark. Or oh, yeah. I was shooting some of, the, some of the same subjects as like, like Irving Penn, my idol. And like, like now, I, you know, I have to compete on equal footing with them or, or I have no future. Definitely. I think that's where you got to look at it. Like, obviously you're starting out, you're not at their level, but you got to be striving for that because it's going like, to just push yourself. Yeah. I mean, the fact is, is that, you know, they say with, uh, with people's abilities and their talents, the innovation happens when you're young. Mm-hmm. And then as you get older, you end up refining your ideas and your approaches. But, but really, if you look at people, they're, they're, the things they did that made them who they were and notable and important are things that kind of worked out in their probably their mid-20s or early 30s. And then over time, they kind of maybe got better at it or more refined and more focused. I mean, even you think of you know famous geniuses like Albert Einstein, you know, we think of him as the old man with the crazy hair, but his ideas that made him famous, he did when he was a young scientist, you know, working in Germany or whatever. Like he was a young man when he, when he came up with those ideas. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I just look at photography. If you want to do this, you got to buckle in and know this is going to be, it's not a two year, three year thing. It's a career. It's a, it's a lifetime like for your career, do you feel like it's been a slow and steady build for you? Or was there like one job or year that was like kind of a turning point for you? Or has this been kind of a slow and steady build to like everything you've been doing, you think? Well, it's funny because people often ask about the kind of narrative of like, when did things flip and like (laughs) really come together for you? And the fact is it didn't, it was very slow. Mm -hmm. I mean, if anything, looking back, because I've been working uh, you know, I guess this actually next month would mark the 30, 30 years of my being a full-time photographer. And if anything, the markers of the turning points would be my times of greatest struggle and failure. Mm-hmm. That's really where change, things really came together in positive ways. You know, like, um, I mean, I'd say like, like about, Around 2006, I was having, I just bought a, an apartment. I just recently married, bought an apartment in the city. And I just had, I just, my work just dried up, mm-hmm. nothing. Mm-hmm. And I, I was freaking out. Like we were going to lose our apartment. I would have to sell it. Um, we, we found like a financial workaround uh, that, you know, that worked out fine. But I still was struggling for many, many years. And that's when I really decided to go back to shooting long-term personal projects. That's really what prompted that. I wouldn't have done that. I mean, I was happy doing individual shoots, whether it be commercial or editorial, but that really forced me to do that because that was my, to my, in my mind, that's the solution. Mm. Art directors want to see you do, what you do work that goes deep and shows you as an artist. And also, frankly, too, I, I, in doing individual assignments for magazines, you know, portrait work for magazines or whatever, I was doing 
things where we came out with one or two pictures. Whereas ad campaigns are campaigns. They want to see six. They want to see 10. They want to see 20. They want to see you take one idea and do a range of images that can both stand alone and stand together. Yeah, the, the advertising stuff, they want as many assets as they can to use at many locations as they can. Totally. <laughs> um, yeah, it's, it's a lot. And you want to show that you have the vision. I think having that, I mean, it was a fair ask. Like, they want to see, because in a way, my idol before that was Irving Penn. It was always about the the one picture, finding going into a situation and finding, like, the best shot I can get that, that tells a story this one singular story I want to tell, but in getting more into advertising, I learned that, you know, they're, they're, they're telling the story multiple ways from different angles, but in a way that it has to hold together. And so I need, I started, to, I need to make work like that. And that's what really got me into that. But you know, it's as much as it's, it's probably led to more work, but it's also led to me finding levels of interest and, in, and, in, ways of getting myself into my work in a way I never would have if I hadn't done that. Mm. And uh, and also, as the editorial world's shrunken, it's given me an outlet for doing work that interests me and excites me that, is, that I would not be able to find probably through editorial now because there just isn't the same marketplace. Yeah, that's interesting. And I know how you do, you mentioned like you do your personal projects, you do advertising, you do editorial. And something I always kind of ask people is like, obviously you're doing this for a living, have you ever felt like you need to create work that's going to attract clients or do you basically just create work that you enjoy and just kind of put it out there and hope there's like some commercial realm for it or what's, what do you think your approach is to that? You know, even before that struggle in 2005, when I was in 2006, when I was, um, you know, trying to get into, um, you know, shooting larger projects, it always been a thing like with my agent, Julian Richards, um, through the uh, through the nineties and aughts, we would often talk about like projects we could do that would be just to kind of have a cool promo piece to send out. Mm-hmm. And it was always like a something in the back of my mind trying to find projects to do that would have that kind of interest and breadth to them. Um, and it was hard; like it was hard to come up with stuff that felt like like original and also something of meaning to me, um, something that would also connect to clients about you know, telling my story or, you know, who I am as a photographer. But, you know, after I did my first book, which was a project I did, you know, initially considered to be a promotional piece, but I thought it was actually had legs and was interesting. It was called Presence and it was portraits of famous people where they weren't visible. Yeah. It's so, um, it was a project that, you know, initially I thought would be maybe a maybe 12 pieces and it'll be a little promo piece. Oh, that'd be kind of funny, a funny kind of throwaway, clever idea with a kind of modest execution. Yeah. I, I kind of thought it'd be like a lot of empty photo studios and hotel rooms. Mm. But the first one I shot was William Shatner and we we're shooting on uh, like a, um, like a horse stable where he keeps his horse uh, in, you know, some part of Los Angeles. And, we shot him with a in kind of a barn with lots of hay piled up. Mm. So there was this beautiful shot of this interior of this barn with all this hay, and it was just all these textures and and different colors. It was really quite striking. That was the first one I shot, mm. and I was like, "Wow, this is really cool!" Like, if this is what it could be, this could be a really interesting book yeah. because just on the visual level, it's. It's so intriguing, and yet then you attach a name to it, William Shatner, who has a whole 
storied background himself, but that doesn't really match this picture. You know, you think William Shatner, you think maybe the set of of the Star Trek, uh, you know, the Enterprise, USS Enterprise or something. Yeah. But it's not. It's like a, it's a bunch of hay. And it's like, oh well, how do okay, well, how do how do these connect? And then you're trying to connect them, right? Mm-hmm. We just automatically do that. It's the way our, where our brains work. And so I was like, this is a cool project. And if I can do enough of them, they, it could actually be a book. And even after the first one, I recognized that. I'd never done a book before. And the fact that that became my first book is only because I could get enough pictures that were unique yeah. and interesting that it could justify being a book as opposed to a small promotional piece or whatever. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I did that book and it came out in 2012. Started shooting in 2006 when I was struggling financially mm-hmm. and uh, came out like literally six years later, um, brought in, as far as I could tell, zero work. Okay. You know, my agent at the time, I had a new agent at that point, and he was like, what kind of work do you think you're going to get out of this? Like interiors for like a, you know, like, uh, you know, architectural digest or something? Like what, what do you think this is going to lead to? And I was like, I don't know. Like it's a cool book. <laughs> you know, I thought, I was thinking art directors, like art directors and advertising are really like, interesting oh yeah driven people i thought they'll see this and they'll just want to work with me because i'm creative and interesting but it didn't really at least it didn't seem like that i don't know of any jobs i specifically got because of that book Mm. so in a way my next book i mean i did a retrospective after that but the next book i was shooting in a bespoke way was gentleman's club which is basically a reaction against that of like i'm making a cool artistic book and you're not going to hire me because of it let's make a book that is going to overtly put off my clients. Like, because the gatekeepers in advertising are generally young women. Young women don't want to see like strippers' boyfriends. That's weird and gross. Like, now in the end, actually, when I, when they do see it, they actually find it really interesting. But when I was, when I was conceptualizing it and I hadn't shot anything, you know, I'm thinking they don't want to see a bunch of like skinny guys with tattoos who are dating strippers. That, that's, that is not what they're going to want to open. So I thought this is a, this is a genuinely personal project. And I think that, and partially too, you know, I'm 54 now. At some point, I'm gonna be on my deathbed and I'm gonna wish I'd done more personal projects that are about what I wanted yeah. and not what I thought my clients might want. You know, the next project I'm trying to shoot now is male nudes. It actually came out of Gentleman's Club. I, did, I shot one of the guys nude and I was like, this is awesome. Like, as a straight man, the idea of shooting a guy nude, like, is. It is, it's fascinating to do. And the picture was great. And it was so exciting for me to do. And the picture is like, I think it's one of the best pictures in the Gentleman's Club series. And I'm like, I should do a bunch of male nudes. And I thought, thought, oh my God, my agent is going to kill me. (laughs) 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 It's like something she cannot do anything with. Because she's just like, your Gentleman's Club project is fine. It's great. I'm, I'm glad you're excited. But I need material I can show too. Yeah. It's like a balance, I guess. That's one thing I kind of respect about your work is that you can tell you do all these projects that you actually care about. And with the advertising world, it seems a lot of times, and you can tell people are just chasing money. It's like this lifestyle look. And that's all they do, which is fine. I guess maybe they like that. Like people riding nice bikes in sunny neighborhoods or whatever. But I mean, at the end of the day, like if you got into photography, you want to shoot stuff you care about. So I've always kind of respected your work because the advertising work you do get it actually kind of makes sense like these ads like i'm looking at here like hotels.com where the guy's like sunburn it actually makes sense it's like a chris buck photo because yeah. it's, it's like quirky 
and it's like a hard thing to do, but I don't know. It's not, Thank you. It's not really a question, but... Uh, <laughs> no, but I agree, and I think that, you know, I was lucky because at the time I got into advertising, like in the late, uh, the late 90s, it really was a time when advertising was looking to editorial to find new talent. And, you know, they came to us. We didn't go to them. Mm-hmm. And I remember the first couple of ad jobs we got, and, you know, we kind of sneered a little bit at them, like advertising, you know, so lame. And then the first, the first check came, and we were like, oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I remember, like, doing the math, and one of the early ad jobs I did, it paid 30 times more than the general editorial I did. 30 times Per day. Probably pays like a 200 times more now. <laughs> well, actually, the rates have not gone up that much in advertising, <laughs> yeah. but there just isn't much editorial. Yeah, yeah. But the, um, the, so, I mean, I think that it's, I don't know. I, I, I was lucky in those days, I got big brand name advertising right away. Like, like remember, Microsoft was an early client. Uh, and it just ends up, it, it frames my work in an, a way that's, that's going to feel like, like I'm a, like I'm a high end brand, you know, like I think that's one of the reasons, one of the things I try to bring to all the photography I do, even if it may not fit exactly within the niche of every individual client is that even in doing my, my series likeness, which is photographs of a 10 inch figurine of me, a 3d photograph of me. Even though it's pictures just taken on my phone of a figurine, there it weirdly feels kind of smart and high end. Like it's kind yeah, of yeah, yeah. you know it's and it maybe in that way because it fe- doesn't feel pandering in the way you're talking about that. It feels fresh and and different and it's it's about me because it's pictures of me as a figurine, but it's also kind of funny and twisted because it's like self portraits of the photographer, but also I'm usually doing something vaguely humiliating in the picture. <laughs> yeah, it's like they want to see you can do both. They want to see you can handle the big campaign, but then they also want to see that you have a creative vision and you're doing cool stuff on your own. Right. It's like a balance of both, totally. right, pretty much. Totally. Um, and you know, one thing I was kind of interested in talking to you about, because you're real well known for, you photograph lots of celebrities and things, and when you're photographing these like high profile people, do you feel like it's your job to put them like in a good light? Um, cause like looking at one, I know you're a real famous cover you did for Newsweek, you photographed, um, Michelle Bachman. Like when you're going into these like high profile people, be it politicians, musicians, whatever, do you feel like it's your job to make them look good or like, or is it more you're just trying to tell a story or what's your kind of approach, I guess, if that makes sense? Yeah, no, it's fine. I mean, I'm definitely, I'm a huge part of, I think my success and, and whatever uniqueness I have in the field of celebrity pictures is that I've never been interested in the heroic portrait. I mean, I, yeah, if you look at my body work, I'm sure you can find a handful that you could say, this is kind of heroic, but I actually use these pictures of other photographers because I, I kind of, I have so much respect for what they do and maybe because they're part of my community. Yeah. I tend to be a little more respectful of photographers, but in general, it's, uh, you know, I was, as I mentioned earlier, I was a big fan of Irving Penn. And one of the things I saw that he did, and this is at least my take on it, is that he made portraits of people that were interesting because he thought they were important and they were interesting people. So his picture of say John Osborne or, um, uh, what was his name? Um, Oh God. That's okay. No, I'll, I'll look it up for you. Yeah, it's fine. Um, no, it's one of my favorite pictures. Maybe I can find his book. Hold on. Let me find <laughs> All the right. book. Pause. We'll be right back. <laughs> Sorry. I'll come back to the chair. We're back. Um, 
Okay, so it's Christian Dior. Yeah. And the way he photographed him, he's kind of slumped in a chair with his arms to his side. Mm. It is not the way you think of photographing a fashion designer. I mean, this picture is, it just, it's fascinating that they, he think that's, here it is. Oh, yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's just kind of a little odd. And, but I look at that and I'm like, I'm not really into fashion, but it makes me intrigued to know more about Dior and his work mm. because he's making him look interesting. Mm. And so that's always been my approach is, is, is that my goal is to make the subject look interesting. So when you look at my work, you want to know more about You're what's intrigued. this person's story. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's interesting. And like another thing I was kind of curious about. Have you ever had to think twice about accepting an assignment, be it like maybe, like I ran into this situation like a month and a half ago, I got hired to photograph Sean Spicer and it was like, personally, I don't agree with like his politics and things. And I was like, I kind of got to a situation where it's like, am I like, like helping like perpetuate this or like their, their message or am I just a photographer trying to document something? Like if you ever, ever had like an assignment where you had to think twice, like, do I want to like support this person? Well, how do you solve it? I ended up taking it because I talked to some people like, and they're like, you're a photographer. That's what you do. You should take a photo and like, I don't know, it's an experience or something. And I still kind of feel weird about it because I mean, I don't back what he's about, but at the same time, it was just a weird situation. Well, who was it, it for? Uh, it was for Rhode Island Monthly magazine. I mean, did they, was there, um, did they say anything like, we need it to look like flattering or, or, or we no, don't not want at all. No, they kind of like gave me freedom to do what I wanted. It was basically because he grew up in Rhode Island and it's a state magazine. So they're mm -hmm. kind of doing a profile on him. Actually, it's funny. I was in Rhode Island just before he did his tour there. Yeah. So I saw that I was by a bookstore and I saw um, the sign that he was going to be doing a talk. Mm -hmm. I was like, oh, this will be interesting. Yeah. See, this goes over. Um, I mean, I think it's, it's, a, it's an interesting question. I mean, when you get into politics, it goes into a certain area. You know, there's a famous story with um, Arnold Newman photographed, I think his name is Albert Krupp, who was Alfred Krupp, who was the... One, I guess one of the founders and, you know, family heads of Krupp Industries who corroborated with the Nazis in World War II. And, and Arnold Newman is Jewish. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if he had any family who was part of the Holocaust or anything, but as an American Jew who's alive during the war, he had an opinion. Mm -hmm. And he said to his client, like, you know, he basically, he expressed it to them and he made a picture of him that made him look pretty crazy evil. Yeah. Do you know this photo? Uh, probably not offhand, but I'm sure I've seen it. Yeah, you should look it up. It's great. Yeah. I do think, I mean, I mean, I think you can make a fair argument that what Krupp's family did in the war was evil or at least evil adjacent. I think it's hard to make that argument with Sean Spicer. Mm. Um, you know, I, I mean, the, I think the issue with, when it comes to politics, I worry that, especially in the moment, a lot of what is thrown around as partisan and it's not necessarily about policy. Yeah. Um, even a lot of the stuff, you know, people try to frame stuff with president Trump as being about like, you know, this man is dangerous and he's, he's, you know, off the rails or whatever. And, but I think, but frankly, if it was Ted Cruz, who's president, I think a lot of that same, um, vitriol would be there, even though Cruz is a professional politician. So I think that a lot of it is, is partisan and isn't necessarily, about 
there's a kind of a lot of chest thumping about like I'm, you know, I'm part of the resistance or whatever. I and I don't, I'm not sure I buy it, you know. So I would say if you were to ask me beforehand and you're going to shoot Sean Spicer, I'd say do the shoot with him. Mm. Um, if you have a range of feelings about him mm. throughout the shoot, then 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 put that in the work. Mm. So if you you know, also too, like just because he's part of administration, maybe that you have issues with, yeah. that can be part of the way you depict him. Yeah. But you might still feel like his story is complex because he got treated kind of badly by the Trump administration. And I think he got kind of an unfair shake by the media and was mocked a lot, I think, in a way that was kind of unfairly cruel. So maybe you'd actually feel sympathy for him. Mm. So it's in a way, there's a there's various ways you can approach it. If it was me, I'd probably shoot a range mm. and then decide afterward what material I hand in. Yeah, because you photographed a, lot, a bunch of presidents. Think Obama, George H. W. Bush, G.W. Like, obviously, you're not going to agree with everything. Like, Trump. Yeah, it, yeah, you yeah. photographed Trump, too. And I guess, like, when you're photographing all these presidents, is there anything you've kind of learned uh, this from photographing these high high-profile politicians well it, the, these people are very intimidating mm. and the thing i've learned is to put aside any feelings i have like frankly i have to put aside my, my feelings of respect because i am into politics and i respect the office i put aside i have to put that aside and focus on i'm here to do my job yeah. i'm here to take pictures i'll tell you a story when i went to go photograph obama we were sitting in the uh so my my uh, creative director and my assistant's all went to D.C. the night before because we were shooting in the morning. So went and stayed in this hotel. It was like near the White House. And um, in the morning, we're all having breakfast. And the art director, creative director, is sitting next to me. And he says, so are you going to you know, go up and change after, the, um, after breakfast? I was wearing like a, like a decent-looking shirt and a, like a, a jacket over it and like kind of black jeans. He's like, you know, you know you're going to put on a suit? I said, no. He said, well, you're going to the White House today. You're photographing, you're, you're meeting the president. And I said, yeah, and the president's meeting me. Yeah. Like, I'm, I'm there to make his picture. And, you know, he's lucky I'm yeah. making his picture. Yeah. And they all laughed. And, well, the assistants laughed. And the creative director looked a little worried. Yeah. And he was like, you know, and I said, look, I'm not going in there for a little history. I'm not in there going in there for a nice story. I'm going in there to take to do my work. Exactly. <clears throat> and, <clears throat> pardon me. Yeah. I said, you know, I said, this is actually what I said. I said, he's lucky I'm taking his picture today. On his deathbed, he's going to say, struggling, his last words will be, that Chris Buck portrait, that's the one. Hell yeah, he's working with you. You're a good photographer. That's that's why you're there. Like, they hire no schmuck off the street. So, I mean, the fact is, look, I'm, I'm, I'm not... I'm not delusional. I know that, you know, our five minute photo shoot was like an annoying chore for him. And it was the height of my career. Yep. But I had to level the playing field in my mind just to, to have a chance to get anything that might feel like my work. You know, one of the biggest things when you photograph someone that important is it ends up being all about the way the person views themselves. I, I'm my goal is to make the Chris Buck picture of President Obama, not just a, a picture of President Obama. Yeah, you, you got you, you got to go in there with that confidence, yeah. or, or else they're going to beat you down. But if you have the totally. confidence, they'll, they'll they'll probably give you respect. 
Totally. And I think that, you know, the thing, the thing is, is, look, it's not like Obama or W or anything like that is looking to undermine me. Yeah. It's more that they're doing what everyone does when they're having a picture taken, which is they put forth the narrative that they want, which is what any reasonable professional person does. Yeah. But my job is to to pick at that and break through it a bit to get something that that's a little more authentic, a little more real, a little more interesting for the audience. Yeah. No, you, know, you know, I, I compare getting your portrait taken, like going to the psychologist. <laughs> if you could do it yourself, you'd stay at home. If you could do it yourself by just like talking or thinking, like going quietly and sitting in a side room and thinking about your, your problems or issues. And then just like, hashing it out in your brain or just talking aloud then you would do that but no you need to go to someone else who's going to ask you pertinent questions or 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 notice something that you're some tangent that you are kind of you're nodding to but not going there someone who can say but wait a second you mentioned your father in terms of that well what where how's your father connect to this as a portrait photographer, we're the psychologist, we're the visual psychologist who we can get, if, if they can get their own picture through their PR team, they would, they need us to go in there and do a little dig, do a little digging and get to something that you wouldn't necessarily give on your own. Yeah, definitely. And you know, one thing from looking at your work, it seems like in a lot of the projects you do, there's like an element of like, like comedy to your photos. Is there, is like humor something that you've always kind of like to insert into your work like because like specifically like even like the presence project i just thought it was funny i feel like you're almost like tongue-in-cheek just kind of messing with people or like the another project you did all fours which was just like people on all fours it was just like funny photos is that kind of like element of your photography that's always kind of been there or like when did that kind of start you think you know, initially, I never really had any intention of having humor in my work. It really, like, I want to make pictures that were, like, like dark and serious and psychological. Yeah. Uh, you know, like, one of my heroes or starting, off, starting off was Anton Corbin, who was a great music photographer uh, in the 80s and 90s. And he was shooting, um, like, I was reading the New Musical Express because I was a big music fan. And he had pictures in there every week. And they were always... They were like head and shoulders above everything, everything else in the publication or even anything else in music photography in general. And they were like black and white and grainy. I mean, they look like like a master painting from, you know, Caravaggio, but done of like, you know, Joe Strummer from The Clash, yeah. you know, or um, or or Ari Up of The Slits. Like it was it was amazing. His picture of Joy Division, it's it's art, yeah. you know, and so. I'd see these pictures and be like, like, I want to make work like that. I mean, for one thing, I was shooting music at the time. So just, it, it was one of those, he was one of those photographers that gave me permission to try to make serious work of a subject matter. You know, rock and roll is taken more seriously now, but 30 years ago, it was just like another part of pop culture ephemera. And so you, the idea of making serious pictures or psychological pictures of a pop culture musician was not something people did, but he was one of the people who really, who really did it. And just, he did it every time. And so he gave me permission to try to do that. So the idea of making pictures that were funny was not my intention ever. I want to make like, like quietly epic images like Anton Corbin or Irving Penn. Mm -hmm. And but I think that over time, humor crept into my work, probably just as a, maybe because it was just part of my personality. I like, you know, I tried to make my friends laugh or girls laugh. I mean, frankly, I would have had no friends or 
girls wouldn't have talked to me at all if I wasn't funny. Yeah. It was, you know, I wasn't athletic. And for the non-athletic guy, your, your plan B is be funny. Yeah. The fact is, is that like in, from middle school onwards, the only thing that was respected was athletics. And even academic was sort of respected, but not really like being top in the debating club was not going to score you. It wasn't going to get you friends and it wasn't going to get you girls talking to you, but being funny, they wouldn't, they wouldn't date you, but they, at least they would talk to you. <laughs> so, <laughs> Take what you can get. <laughs> yeah, exactly. At least it's a start, you know? So I think that, that I developed my sense of humor because of that. And frankly, I mean, I remember going to summer camp and bullies would stop bullying me because I would be funny and they would actually befriend me and be like, you're all right. And so it became a tool for me to like survive socially. And I think just having that instinct, I'd start putting in my work. Mm. You know, if I, it's sort of like, I don't know, it's like, it's sort of a thing. Like if you're inclined towards humor at all in your life, if you, if you can put a gag in your picture, you kind of can't resist. Like, and I think in a weird way, because I had that drive to make work that was like deep and meaningful and kind of, you know, as I said, kind of quietly epic that with the humor became my style. Yeah, because, like, yeah, it seems like a lot of stuff you kind of become well-known for is, like, those kind of photos that kind of have humor to it. Was it something you are kind of, like, resisting for a while? Because, like you said, like, you're a big fan of Irving Penn. You kind of wanted to make these more, like, like uh, I guess, like, serious portraits. Was it the humor or something that kind of, you kind of resisted for a while, and then you kind of did it and kind of this started working, so you kind of ran with it? or You know, maybe it comes down to that thing we were talking about earlier where when you're when you're on the actually let's pause for a second we'll get some water we're back um yeah i was asking you basically how you're making, I remember. all right cool i think like what i mentioned before that when you're on the job and you're just trying to get a solve you're trying to get two or three great frames out of a subject or a context on assignment if you can solve it through making a picture that's like genuinely witty then you're gonna go with the solve like it's even when i'm shooting me i've always approached it where i'm not in advertising but in terms of like a more open situation either personal project or editorial i'm trying to kind of skin that cat five different ways and i've kind of realized over time like i've always thought of it as i'm taking five different approaches to make a portrait or make a picture of someone or something but but i've realized in a way, I'm always trying to get the same kernel of an idea, but I've learned to approach it from different ways to try to get to that place. Like whether it's like a surreal black and white picture or a really tight shot or a shot where they're really far away and you see a landscape too, or it's really conceptual or it's, or it's lit, like, like very, very, very lit and very dynamic that way. Uh, or it's just super quiet and nothing's happening. Like I've always try, I always try, you know, four to six different ways of doing it. And I just don't know which, even now I still don't know which one's me, the one that works. Sometimes something just happens. Like a recent shoot I did, I was photographing for a gentleman's club and I was photographing this woman who's like kind of a baby daddy to one of the dancers, kids. And a guy rode by on a bicycle who was like her, her neighbor He's like a black guy dressed as a cowboy riding by on a bike. And it was like amazing. Just like kind of just made the shot. And I just kept shooting well, when he rode through the picture. And I'm like, that's it. That's the best shot of the shoot. And you just never know. Like, 
So I think that you take different approaches, just not knowing what is going to work. And, and funny was one. And the fact is, I mean, at this point, I still try to make work that has seriousness, but as long as there's some ass, some gravitas, I'm happy for the humor to be there too. I just don't want the pictures to be like frivolous or silly. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's just not my taste. It's not, I mean, I guess pictures like that can be great, but it's just not my thing. Mm -hmm. Um, I just don't think those pictures have much value long term. Mm -hmm. Uh, and don't really speak to me. Yeah. And do you, do you walk away from every shoot you do like satisfied? Like oh god no! Most of the time I don't. I'm not satisfied. If I get like a dozen pictures a year that are like great, I'd be so happy. Mm. Yeah. I mean, look, dozen pictures a year. Imagine that. That's one a month. That's good. <laughs> but imagine thirty years of a great picture. Twelve pictures a year. Even ten pictures a year. That'd be three hundred great photos. Yeah. I mean. Who has, who even has 300 great photos? Does, does Robert Frank have 300 great photos? No, he probably has about maybe 30. Yeah. I was reading the biography of uh, Ouija and he refers to his, something like his 40 great photos. And 40 is an amazing number. Yep. No, that's pretty good. Yeah, Frank Arkenfels, I interviewed him. He said the same thing. He's like, if I have two or three good ones a year, that's a good year. That's what he said. Um, you need to take that. No, it's okay. That's my alarm. Okay. Uh, yeah, we're almost done. Um, I guess to kind of start wrapping up, like, I was just kind of curious, like, uh, I think you talked a little bit about it before, but what are you kind of working on um, these days? I know before we started, you got a new promo you're working on and then a couple projects, but what's kind of keeping you busy these days? So the days? promo is, uh, it's called Chris Bucks, Chris Bucks, mm -hmm. and it's portraits of other people who share my full name. Mm. Um, I started shooting it around the year 2000. It just came from like doing like a, a, a search online of my name, like everyone does. And then I, you know, was looking under images and there was some crazy looking dudes. Uh, I remember those, I, I wish I'd done a screen grab, grab at the time, because I didn't, I never seen this image again. A guy was a real estate agent in Las Vegas and he was wearing a suit, kind of a little ill-fitting. He looked like he was about 15 and I was like, okay, I could just make headshots of these guys and it would be an amazing promo because I'd just be, you know, brand reinforcement constantly because it's my name everywhere, right? And that's where the original idea came from. Again, funny. Yeah. Like, but then I was like, well, you know what? I'm a portrait photographer. I should take these seriously. And so I really approached it like, all right, I'm going to make serious portraits of each person. I mean, I, all these shoots were done just for this promo. Some of them I shot like, over 30 rolls of film to get one frame for a promo, which, you know, which I'm now finally putting out. But I started shooting in 2000, and now 18 <laughs> years later, the promo's ready. I'm no glad. wonder my agent complains that I take too long on projects. <laughs> That's funny. Is the printed uh, promo something you still do a lot of these days? Or Yeah, I think that, I mean, I don't do it often, but, you know, I did a, a book last year. I'm doing this promo this year. I'll probably do some kind of group thing with my agent, agency next year i think that uh printed printed pieces definitely have a place i mean people exist in the physical world like i get that they're looking at their devices all the time but you know i do instagram and such and so i'm part of that world too but i think when you're doing a serious project you know with a thought through idea and photo shoots that are real like you really want to I want to present this as being a little, going a little deeper than like my Instagram post of my kid being funny or something, you know? Yeah. Um, so, 
And I think also the fact that it ties together with multiple people of the same theme, it kind of ties into the idea of a campaign, which I think is, is smart and helpful too. Um, I think also people appreciate that I've gone deep with it, you know? I mean, I'm not expecting them to like, you know, fall over backwards, but at least when they, when they check it out, they're like, oh, this is cool. Like he, he bothered to put a little extra time into it. Yeah, 18, uh, 18 years of time. <laughs> well, and also each individual shoot. Like oftentimes I'd meet them beforehand and I, we'd have dinner or lunch and I'd get to know them a little bit. We'd, you know, we, we'd sort of scout locations together. I kind of, you know, I really, I took it seriously. I mean, part of the reason why I shot so much film was because when you're shooting um, on assignment, you've, you've got that, there's a built-in fire under you, you know, as you said before. You, what, clients are so hard to get, you want to keep them. Mm-hmm. But when you're shooting for a personal project, it's pretty easy to shoot, you know, I mean, now digital, I can shoot for like a half an hour and be like, yeah, I got something. But, you know, if it was on assignment, I'd never do that. I'd be like, oh, I'm shooting for hours. You know, like I'm, you know, I shoot as long as people let me shoot. Yeah. You know, like my shoots end with being like, I'm sorry, we really have to go. I'm really sorry. <laughs> That's how all my shoots end. And so um, if it's a personal shoot, I want to shoot for you know, probably two hours and shoot, you know, now digital, I'm going to shoot hundreds of frames and shoot four or five different setups. You know, I'm not going to just do one thing, you know, one or two things and be like, yeah, we're good. Mm -hmm. No, that's smart. And, uh, you know, you're not, you never remember it for your good pictures. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, for sure. And I guess just to kind of wrap up, like you've been doing this a long time, um as you know the photography business if you want to call it that i guess there's a lot of peaks and valleys um but what kind of keeps you going what kind of keeps you inspired to keep doing this and um keep moving forward with it you think i think just a huge part of it is is not losing your mind when things are quiet i mean it's i've seen a lot of people leave this industry and it's always framed as being a financial choice but i think it's more psychological I think they, they can always find a workaround for the financial in the short term. Or, um, you know, or they're not willing to make the changes they have to make to, to uh, adjust to the times. You know, you know in, on the commercial side, you know, obviously I'm on Instagram, which I kind of would rather not be, but I'm active on Instagram because that's where my clients are. Oh, yeah. um, I'm making video projects because that's where the business is. To be able to do, like as you mentioned earlier, you have to be able to provide uh, like a range of assets, whether it be gifts or um, videos along with their stills. Um, I'm, uh, you know, I'm, I'm pivoting away from editorial and doing a lot more commercial work, you know, or dealing directly with clients rather than going through agencies. Mm-hmm. The environment changes, you move with it. Um, but I think, you know, part of the value of the personal projects is the, um, uh, is is that it keeps you sane when you're not shooting. You know, if I'm shooting a personal project, I'm doing like one or two shoots a week just for my personal project, I feel like I'm leaning in and I'm moving forward. I'm not just sitting around waiting for the phone to ring. Mm. Well, not that anyone calls anymore. They just, they email <laughs> or text. <laughs> yes. <Yeah, seriously. laughs> but, um, you know, it's, it, it, you can call it like a false sense of like hopefulness, but the fact is you need to carry through in those times when you're not busy on paying work. Yeah. You got to make shit happen. And also too, like the fact is, is that, you know, when I'm, when I'm done, 
all have done all these projects. You know, I'm, I'm proud of the work, commercial work I do, and I enjoy doing it, but I'm unlikely to be on my deathbed thinking about, you know, shooting a job for hotels.com. Yeah. I'm, I'm probably going to be thinking about the gentleman's club project or the Chris Bucks, or even the weird likeness project with a figurine. Like that's, what's going to bring a smile to my face. Yeah. I kind of, I'm the same way. I think about that too. Honestly, it's like, when I'm like 80 years old, I want to be proud that like I have some cool photos I took. Not obviously everyone wants to make money, but at the end of the day, I just want to be progressing as a photographer and taking pictures that I want to take. And hopefully along the way, you can make a couple bucks. <laughs> but that's kind of sim- yeah. similar way I look at it. Um, but I guess uh, yeah, my last question: um, Do you have any kind of goals for your photography moving forward or anything? Well, certainly one thing I want to do is respond to my agent and to try to find cool projects that I can do in a few months rather than multiple years. All right. I think it's, it's something she's basically said to me from the first time we met uh, five years ago. And when it was, it's actually, I think the day after, it's like within a week of joining her, I photographed Obama and had an exhibition of the presence show. Damn. Remember at the presence show, I said, this is the peak of our time together so you better enjoy it. it's all downhill from here but you know it's she's always said to me please do projects that you can do in a few months rather than years because i want material to show yeah. and i think she's right and also in terms of i mean it's it's in my interest too if i can find ways to find subjects be easier to find but just make interesting work of them yeah. um so if any of your listeners want to pose nude for me and they're men of of legal age 18 years or older be in touch all right i'll link it and uh for people listening where's the best place to check out your work just my uh i mean i'd say my website and my instagram all right website is chrisbuck.com my instagram is the underscore chris underscore buck perfect i'll link it and people can go check it out and uh thanks so much chris thank you so there you have it that was the chris buck interview i want to thank chris so much for taking the time to come on the podcast It was a real pleasure getting a chance to speak with him about all his work and everything he's done over the course of his career. A lot of respect for everything he's done. Um, So definitely go check out Chris's website. It's chrisbuck.com. He has lots of interesting work on there and various personal projects he's working on. So definitely go check that out. And as always, I'll be having weekly podcasts every Monday on iTunes, SoundCloud, as well as on my website, alexgagnephoto.com, and on my Instagram, at Alex Gagne Photo. Thanks so much for listening and take care.